as you can tell by the spirit in the room, loving relationships have the potential to create great joy in our lives. Loving relationships have the ability to to feel the highest of highs. But relationships can also cause a lot of trouble in our lives. They can also bring a great deal of of stress into our lives, and, and dysfunctional relationships or unhealthy relationships can cause us to move from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And if you think about your life, most of us spend much of our day involved in relationship or manning relationships. For many of you with kids, right, in the morning and in the evening, when your kids are at home, you're, it's spent in relationship with them. Or maybe you'd like to say managing the relationship with them. For a lot of us, when we go to work each day, we're involved in relationships with coworkers. For many of us, we would say the most important relationship in our life is perhaps a best friend or a spouse. And relationships have the ability to bring us great joy, and we want our relationships to be healthy. We want them to be whole. We want them to be um, what we dream of. But so often we know that the reality is actually the opposite. So often in our relationships we fail. We don't exactly know what to do, and so we go to bed thinking about different situations in our heads. We, we worry as we walk into work each day about the dysfunction that's going to come upon us, and we wonder if we're ever going to really get good at relationships. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about relationships, not because I'm some expert at relationships. I'm certainly not, but because here In Philippians chapter 2, as we continue to study through this letter, Paul has some powerful words about relationships. And here in chapter 2, Paul gives us this one big idea that if we begin to put into practice, it can actually transform all of our relationships. And this idea that he puts forth, it's easy to understand, but it's, it's not exactly easy to put into practice. It's simple but it's not simplistic. And so what I want to do for us this morning is I want to pray. I want to read these words from his letter to the Philippians. And I want us to explore this big idea together. So let's go before God in prayer. God, we come before you this morning as people who were created for a relationship with you. We were created for loving relationships with other people, God, but we have to confess this morning that so often we we fail in our relationships. We don't love other people. We contribute to the dysfunction. And so God, we ask that you would forgive us and that as we open up your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit speaking to us through these words might help transform our minds, might transform our hearts, might transform our lives and ultimately our relationships so that they might glorify you. God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. So if you were with us last week, we were looking at Philippians chapter 1. And this week we're moving to Philippians chapter 2. And we're looking specifically at verses 1 through 11. And so if you have the insert in your bulletin, you'll see the scripture there. It'll be behind me on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have free Bibles available for you out in the lobby after the service. We'd love for you to grab one if, if you don't have one. 
And so beginning in verse 1, we see Paul writing these words. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but putting the interest, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, that is Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth. And under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge. That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. In chapter 1 last week we looked at Paul's introduction. And later in the chapter, Paul's talking a lot about what's going on in his own life as he's in prison and dealing with different situations and he's kind of catching up his life to the Philippians through the beginning of this letter. But here, things in the letter begin to twist and Paul begins addressing things going on in the lives of the Philippians, that is, the Christians who lived in the city of Philippi. And Paul, he kind of knew a little bit about what was going on because there's a guy named Epaphroditus. Anybody here have a cousin or a son named after that guy in the Bible? No? No, yeah. It's not a common one, right? Epaphroditus. But Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to Paul to give him encouragement, to give him financial support, to bring him some gifts. And when Epaphroditus came to Paul, he also gave him a report of things that were going on in the life of the Philippians together. He kind of updated them on some of the drama some of the relationship dynamics at play in their community. And now, if you're not familiar with the Bible and and you haven't read much of it, let me just tell you this, that there are a lot of people and a lot of relationships in the Bible, and a lot of them are dysfunctional. And there's a lot of issues. The Bible, there's no perfect people in the Bible except for one, Jesus. And there's a lot of drama as we look at the different churches and things going on. And so these aren't perfect communities. And Epaphroditus is updating Paul on some of the things that are going on there. And when he's updating them, he gives him a few different glimpses of some of the conflicts they're having. And so Paul tells them, he's like, hey, be like-minded. Have the same love because there was some discord. There was some disunity in their community together. People weren't sharing in the same love. People weren't sharing in the same spirit. He mentions selfish ambition. He mentions vain conceit. Vain conceit here in the Greek, it literally means empty glory. People had an inflated view of themselves. He says, look, there's grumbling going on. There's arguing going on. You need to stop that. And he even in chapter 4 later goes on to mention two women, Judea 
and Syntyche. And he tells them, look, y'all need to get along and be of one mind in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was mentioned one time in the Bible, like Yudi and Syntyche, I would not want that one time to be someone telling me to get my relationship with my friend together. But that's Yudi and Syntyche. That's their only mention in the Bible. And here Paul is telling them, hey, get your relationship together. And as Paul is naming some of these different relational dynamics, some of these different issues in their community, we can kind of begin to see a common thread developing. And I actually want to use this stepladder to help illustrate a little bit about what's going on in some of these relationship dynamics. So we see Paul talking about people need to be like-minded, share in the same spirit, share... And the love. And if we think of the Philippian community, if we think of them down here, this is kind of where they are. What we see happening is, is that some people are separating themselves from the group. In a sense, if they're down here, some people are kind of beginning to separate themselves a little bit. Maybe thinking that their point of view is better. Or that they have more knowledge, they know what's right, other people know what's wrong. And we also see that he mentions there's selfish ambition at play that people have an inflated view of themselves, that, that people are beginning to think of themselves a little bit higher than the rest of the group. He calls out their disagreements and their discord. And you know how disagreements are. Usually it's one person saying, I'm right, you're wrong, my ideas are correct and are better than yours, your ideas are less than mine. And so we see this separation going on. And in each case, Paul mentions, he's calling out people who are looking to their own interests and people who are putting themselves above other people. And in Philippi at the time, that was very common in their culture. People oftentimes wanted to climb up the ladder. They were a culture built on status and on honor. And so they wanted to be near the top. And I don't know about you, but does any of this sound familiar for you? A lot of these relational dynamics are still at play in our culture. A lot of times, we're, we're similar, right? If this is the community of the church or our different relationships, so often instead of using our voice and our influence to bring people together, to bring harmony, to bring unity to the community, so often what we do is we begin to separate ourselves, to think that we're right, and we begin to use our voices to put down other people. In our culture, it's so common for us to want to be near the top, to make it to the top. I mean, so much of selfish ambition is celebrated in our society. And so we try to climb higher and higher, or if we know that we can't climb that high in life, we try to be around people that have status, that have influence, and that have money. And so often we, we try to separate ourselves and think, well, these are my people, I don't hang out with people like that. Our culture is one that celebrates the individual. And so often we put our own interests, our own happiness, our own affairs, ourselves above other people. And sometimes it's hard to notice, but sometimes it's obvious. And Paul here is telling the Philippians, look, these relational dynamics you have going on, these aren't good. 
These aren't good dynamics in the kingdom of God. Instead, the kingdom of God is different. As citizens of heaven, y'all need to be living differently than everybody else in the world. Y'all need to be living differently than other people in your culture. And so he says this to them. Make my joy complete by not being selfish, by not being ambitious or trying to put yourself above others. Instead, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here as he's trying to provide this corrective, ultimately he says this phrase, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here mindset, it doesn't exactly mean all the exact same ways of thinking. It's bigger than that. He's saying have the same thoughts as Jesus. Have the same patterns of life as Jesus. Live like Jesus. Follow the same way that Jesus lived. He's saying, look, your life should reflect the life of Christ. And then, in verses 6 through 11, he, he begins quoting something. And now, if you have your Bible, you'll notice in this section here, your Bible probably has this kind of indented differently than other things in your Bible. And that's because most scholars agree that here Paul is quoting one of the earliest hymns of the church. This would have been a hymn that the Philippians knew that people were already singing in their time of worship together. And Paul quotes this hymn back to them. He reminds them of this hymn because in this hymn he says, Look, look at the pattern of Jesus. Look at his trajectory in life. Look at his relationships. Jesus, he says, didn't try to climb up the ladder like so many of us try to do. Instead, Jesus' trajectory was different. He climbed down the ladder and he's encouraging them to imitate Jesus Christ. And so in verse 6, we see the beginning of this hymn and we see Paul explaining, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And now, this is some deep theology right here. Because what Paul is saying, what this hymn is saying, that Jesus is in his very nature God. That God exists in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has no creator. Jesus has been in existence from all time, just like the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, look, at creation, Jesus was present. Before Jesus entered into this world, he was present with God the Father Almighty. Jesus is in his very nature God. And so we see that Jesus is kind of up here in verse 6. But then the trajectory downward begins. And he says in verse 7 that Jesus didn't consider equality God with something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And so we see this idea of Jesus climbing down out of heaven, being made in human likeness. And this is what we celebrate 
at Christmas. This is what we're celebrating through return to Bethlehem, that Jesus Christ is with us. It's what theologians call the incarnation, that God has left heaven and come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ came into this world as a baby. A baby. Born in a backwoods town in the middle of nowhere. We see this trajectory going from here down to here, but the descent actually continues. Because Paul says, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here we see that Jesus, he did come as one among us. But he actually came down even lower as a servant. And he put us above himself so that our relationship with God the Father could be transformed. Jesus humbled himself. He emptied himself. He put us ahead of himself Because he knew that no matter how high we tried to climb on this ladder, no matter how high we got, that we could never make it back to God on our own. That we could never restore the relationship that had been broken by sin. Jesus knew that that required him coming here to fix the problem. It required him taking the punishment for sin that we deserved upon himself. And Paul says that he submitted himself to death. Even death on a cross. I know a lot of us, we have little cross necklaces. You know, if you go to the French market in Locust Grove, you can see kind of dainty white crosses and you can get one for your kitchen. For us, now the cross is this symbol of hope. It's this symbol of transformation. But In the culture in which Paul is writing, in Roman society, the cross was a tool of death. And not just death for anybody. It was a tool of death for the lowest of the low. And it was really a scandal in their culture that Jesus had died On a cross. Humility wasn't a value in their culture. And so that Jesus would submit himself to death on a cross was completely radical. But Jesus knew that it was necessary. He came down so that our relationship with our Heavenly Father might be transformed, so that we might be lifted up. Jesus who was full, became empty so that we who were empty could become full. Jesus, who was first in the kingdom of God, made himself one of the least of these on this earth so that we might even enter into the kingdom of God. Here Paul is reminding them of that trajectory. And he's saying for those of us, 
for those of you, for y'all, for you, the Philippians, for us who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him, who've trusted in his death and his resurrection for our salvation, knowing that he has transformed our relationship with the Father, that he has restored us. He's saying, if that's you, your ways need to become his ways. Your life needs to become his life. Your thoughts need to become his thoughts. You need to lift up other people above you as well. And he's telling them, when you do this, when you put others above yourself, your relationships will be transformed. Your relationships will be transformed. Paul here is really calling them, and he's calling us, to step away from the crowd. But he's not calling us to step up and to move higher than them. He's calling us to step down and to move lower than other people, to put other people above ourselves in service and in love and in humility. That's what Jesus did with us. And he tells us that when we do that, our relationships will be transformed. And so what does that look like? It might look like when the Georgia-Tennessee game is on coming up. It might look like if your kid or your grandkid says, hey, I want to play while you're watching the game. It might look like you turning off the TV and going outside and spending time with them, putting their interests above yours. It might look like when your friend gives you a phone call or your spouse says, hey, I just wish you would sit down and watch TV with me. But you have a big to-do list you're trying to trek off. It might look like you setting your own interests and your own to-do list aside and putting their interests above yours. It might look like when you're having an argument or a debate with a friend, it might look like you stopping, taking a deep breath, and remembering that a healthy relationship might be more important than being right all the time. When we put others above ourselves, it transforms the relationship. And I'm not saying that as someone who, who's great at doing that. I'm saying that as someone who's been on the receiving end of such transformation. Some of you know that for a summer, I lived in Central America. I spent some time in language school in Guatemala, and then I moved to El Salvador and worked with the Evangelical Methodist Church there. And when I went to Guatemala to enroll in language school, they, they said they were going to set me up with a host home, but I, I went down there not knowing the language, not knowing the culture. Really, I was just a stranger in a foreign land. And on one of my first nights there, they dropped me off at the home of Aldina, who is going to be my host mother 
for the next number of weeks. And so Aldina, she had long hair. She had a kind of a formal dress. She didn't smile a ton. And we couldn't really communicate much because she didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish. There I was one day standing there in her living room with some of my bags that I had brought in with me, waiting to figure out which bedroom I was going to be sleeping in. So while I was waiting there, um, I, I was introduced to a guy who also lived in the house named Rodolfo. He was a friend of Aldina's that, that she had taken in. He was a young man about my own age. And while I was standing there, I saw Rodolfo kind of packing up a few things and clearing out a little bedroom, and I realized that that was my bedroom. And as I watched him packing up the things... I began to put together that this was his bedroom and that he was packing up his things so that I could stay there. And, I, you know, I didn't know what the arrangement was. I couldn't really communicate. So I went in the bedroom and slept there for the next number of weeks. But during those weeks, one day I saw Aldina's door open to her bedroom, and I saw that she had a very tiny little bed. And then I began thinking, where is Rodolfo sleeping? And I saw a little mat on the floor next to her bed. And I realized that Rodolfo had left his room and was sleeping on a little mat on the floor of the bedroom next door. He had literally put me above himself so that I, a stranger in his house and in his country, could be comfortable. And it transformed our relationship. We didn't know each other extremely well at that point. We couldn't communicate that well at that point. But as I saw him, Literally putting me above him, putting my interest above his own. The dynamic in the relationship changed. Love became present. There was a new level of trust. There was an opening for friendship. And over my time there, we became friends together. And looking back, I often think about that experience. And I often ask myself, would I have done that for somebody else? Would I do that for somebody else? And honestly, I don't know. I don't know if I would. Because the truth is, is that it's hard to put other people above yourself. Even people you love dearly. And we can try and we can fail. We can try and we can fail. But if we're really going to succeed in living out the pattern of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that the only way we can do it on a consistent basis. Is if we're living out of the same power of Jesus Christ. 
The only way we can put others above ourselves is if we have the same Holy Spirit that led Jesus, that empowered Him, that led Him to the cross. The only way we can do the same thing and lift other people up above our own interests is if that power is living with us. But here's the good news. When that power is living in us, and we're putting other people above ourselves, when we're living out this pattern of Jesus Christ, it points people to Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul is, is just so straightforward and he's so frank here. That's why he gives these admonitions, not so that they can just have congenial and happy relationships in the life of that church together. Yeah, he wanted healthy and whole relationships. That's what we were created for. But he also knew that when the church at Philippi had healthy relationships, he knew that it would help reach people for Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, there's a new group of Christians that are kind of weird in their culture, and if other people who aren't yet followers of Jesus Christ are looking at this community and they're seeing disunity, they're seeing discord, they're seeing dysfunction, they're seeing pride, they're going to look at them and think, they're living just like everybody else. Why would I want to be a part of that? They're just another religious sect doing all these weird things. But Paul also knew that the opposite was true. That if they had healthy relationships, that if they were unified, that if there was humility, that if there was love there, if they were constantly putting people above themselves, he knew that other people outside of the church would look at the church and realize that something different was going on there. He knew that their relationships would ultimately point other people to Jesus Christ. And it's the same in our culture today. One of the number one reasons why people do not come to church, why people have left the church, is because of relationships in the church. People have been hurt. They've seen the dysfunction. They've seen us arguing and bickering with each other. They've seen us doing it with our family members and our friends. And they think, why would I want any part of that? But the good news is that the opposite is also true. So many people who don't yet know Jesus Christ have come to faith in Jesus Christ because they've seen our relationships. They've seen Jesus Christ in us as we've lifted other people above ourselves, as we've lived with unity, with humility as we've tried to live like Jesus. So many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ because a friend proclaimed the gospel to them. That is, a friend told them the good news that we couldn't save ourselves and so God came out of heaven and died for us and rose again so that we could have a new relationship with God. People come to faith because they hear that good news, but not only... Have they heard it? They've seen it demonstrated in their friend's life. They've seen their friend put other people's interest above their own. They've seen their friend point to Jesus Christ as they followed his pattern. And so this morning... What relationships in your life need transformation? 
How might you put others above yourself? I want to invite you to think about that this week. And during this final song, if you're willing and you're able, I want to invite you to come forward and to pray here at this altar. Asking God's Holy Spirit to give you the power to put other people above you because we don't have the power within ourselves. We need Him. We need God the Father. We need to follow the pattern of God the Son and we need God the Holy Spirit working in us. But when that Spirit's working in us, and we're putting others above us. Transformation is not only possible, it will happen. And so during this final song, I invite you to come. We invite you to stand and sing together.